Welcome to Seniority Authority. I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey, and I track down experts to answer your questions on aging. Let's get smarter about growing older. Thanks to our show sponsor, the Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities, where active adults find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. Hello, and welcome to our first ever live podcast. As some of our listeners know, the Seniority Authority podcast launched last April, and we've had a great response to date. We're reaching our goal to bring information and research to light for adults over 50 to help everyone get smarter about growing older. People are listening to this podcast to learn about fitness, finance, insurance, health, connection, and more to help them navigate their next chapter. Today, we're doing something completely different, a live podcast in front of an audience of residents here at Riverwoods Durham. For those of you who aren't familiar with Riverwoods Durham, it's a continuing care retirement community in Durham, New Hampshire, part of the Riverwoods Group. My guests today are Kim Gaskell, Executive Director of Riverwoods Durham, and Deb Carmosen, a resident board member, here to talk about the mystery, myth, and magic of a CCRC. Welcome to Seniority Authority. I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey. To give you a bit of background, Kim Gaskell joined Riverwoods Durham as Executive Director in October of 2018, while the community was still under construction. She shepherded the opening of the community in November after spending eight years working in the multifamily apartment industry, where she held positions as property manager and operations manager for the Dolbin Company, a property management firm in Massachusetts. Kim holds a master's degree in organizational leadership from Southern New Hampshire University and also holds her nursing home administrator's license. Deb Carmosen and her partner, Michael, were among the first Riverwoods Durham residents moving in in March of 2020. Deb is a resident trustee and has over 45 years experience in educational administration, including as school principal in nonprofit and accredited institutions internationally. She's been an active participant in boards on nonprofit organizations in the U.S. and abroad. Deb moved back to New Hampshire to be a full-time caregiver for her dad, who had Alzheimer's for six years. Deborah also holds two master's degrees in education and a BA and is a resident board member of Riverwoods Durham. Welcome to our live studio audience, as well as those listening at home. Today, we are getting an up-close and personal look at community during COVID, learning how Riverwoods Durham, which opened in late 2019 and filled in record-setting timeframe, created a sense of community during COVID and how it informs the community now in 2020. So when we begin, I would like to ask Kim to describe for our audience what a continuing care retirement community is. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Kathleen, for having us on this live edition of the podcast. So a CCRC is sometimes referred to as a life plan community too. And they've actually been around for hundreds of years. They started more faith-based in the churches and many of them still are today. But the whole concept of a CCRC is that our residents move in when they're at least 62 years of age. They move into independent living. So they're able to live independently. They can take care of themselves and eat and bathe and dress and, and live that independent life. 
but they're promised healthcare and activities and enrichment in their life for the rest of their life. Because all under one roof, we also have levels of care for healthcare. So we have memory support, assisted living, and nursing or end-of-life care. So that's really different than if you just moved into a just an assisted living community when you needed it. Here, you're planning in advance for your future needs and your future healthcare needs, and you're guaranteed to have that for the rest of your life. So that's like moving into, it's better than moving into a 55 plus community because if you need care, you need to move again. Absolutely. And sometimes you can't always guarantee that that place is going to provide the level of care that you need. And what's really interesting and great for our residents is you move independently. And our goal is to keep our residents living as independently for as long as possible. And we do that through fitness and activities and education and kind of stimulating all the different parts of of who a person is. But as their needs change and progress, they can get that same care that they need all under the same community roof. The other benefit is sometimes you might have a short-term need. So I may be an independent living resident. I might fall and break my hip. And maybe I just need a little bit of rehab and assisted living for a month. But then I recover, I rehab, and I can go back to living in my independent apartment. But when my needs permanently change, I have a place that I can go to. I'm still surrounded by the same neighbors and residents and staff all under the same roof. So it sounds like it's a great community connection. And there's also a financial advantage too, as I understand it. Absolutely. So it, it is certainly a way that our residents can do some estate planning and financial planning. When a resident chooses to move into independent living, they pay an entrance fee deposit. And that entrance fee deposit stays with them for the entire time they're at our community. When they pass or if they decide to leave the community, a large portion of that, up to 90%, is refunded back to their estate or whomever they choose. So it's also a way that our residents can kind of plan ahead, leave money to a trust or their family as they see fit. That's great. And they also have a predictability about what uh, their care is going to cost. We don't know what's going to happen, but this is predictable cost. Absolutely. That's a great point. And so when our residents move in, they pay that entrance fee, but they also pay a monthly service fee. And that is to pay for things like meals and activities and laundry and facilities and shoveling and all the worries that you have when you live at your home. But here we kind of take that away. And that same price that they're going to pay in their independent apartment, they wind up paying at any level of care beyond that as well. And that's really different and a huge benefit. If I was someone moving in off the street directly into assisted living, I might be paying four to $5,000 more. And when you get to nursing level care, that can be ten to $15,000 more. So it's an enormous cost savings for our residents who choose to move into a CCRC. Those of you who are listening to the podcast can't tell, but Kim is very young to be an executive director. And a CCRC is not really a well-known industry. Long-term care is not the sexiest industry. So what brought some, what attracted someone as young as you are to this kind of field? I get that question a lot. Really, at the time that I started looking, I just, I needed to work for something more than a bottom line. I wanted passion and purpose. And around the same time that I started to look, my grandmother went into a nursing home and it was a for-profit nursing home. It was kind of, you know, some people have to go where, where they can get in or where they can afford. And it just wasn't the best quality of life. Here, one of the things I think we pride ourselves on is we really try to make it about the individual and what they want. And instead of forcing them into activities or 
you know, you're going to do this craft today and you're going to take this class. And I was just seeing my grandmother not live the life that I know she would have wanted to. And so that kind of got me interested in more of of senior care and and healthcare. And then that also, I think it actually started many years ago. When I was young, my mom was fortunate enough. She stayed home with my brother and I, but she would have some odd jobs. And one of them was delivering meals on wheels. And a lot of her clients were senior citizens. And so there were days that she would take me with her and I'd call it going to work. I got to go to work with mom and do my route. And we would just go visit, you know, all of her clients and you could tell like they lit up when my brother and I went, they may not have been able to see their family often. So I have really fond memories early on of enjoying being around senior citizens. And then I was incredibly close with both of my grandmothers growing up. They were enormous parts of my life. And so it just, I think that really helped shape and influence who I am and where I want my passion and work to be. Interesting. That was awesome. Deb, I'm going to ask you the same question. You're very young to be living in retirement community. Was this your plan? How did you and Michael come to find Riverwoods Durham? Okay. To start off with, I want to thank you for having me be a part of this and to be with the community that we love. Actually, we heard about CCRCs at UNH. Michael is a 1957 graduate of UNH, and we would go to reunions. And at the reunions, we would see our good friends, Jim and Carly Helen, who are also in the same class as Michael. And one reunion, they looked at us and said, we're looking at CCRCs. And we said, what is a CCRC? So that's where the journey began. And we started studying and looking and reading up. And it took us about three years, but then we heard about Riverwoods and we loved the whole concept of Riverwoods. And we knew about the excellent background Riverwoods had. And I said to Michael, Michael is 18 years older than I am. And I said to Michael, I said, you know, we need to be smart about this. We need to be proactive about our future. We don't want his brother coming from California, looking at him in a hospital bed and going, oh my God, what am I going to do with you? And I don't want my brother to do the same thing going, now what do I do with her? So I said, let's be proactive and plan ahead and find a community that will give us health care, independent living, a lot of activities, and to be with people. And that's how we ended up here at Riverwoods. Also, the other side of the coin was that I had had experience taking care of my dad for six years. Yeah. My career, as you mentioned, I had been principal of international schools around the world, and I finally had my dream job. I was at the United Nations International School in New York City, a school of 2,000 kids, pre-K through 12, 108 nationalities. I had 500 little kids in my section, 1,000 parents, 250 staff. I was having a ball, and, and we were having enjoying New York City and going to opera and Broadway and the Irish Repertory Theater and concerts. And we were having a great time. But my dad was up in North Conway alone. My mom had passed in 2003 and he was starting to have some issues. And I was finding going up on weekends, many weekends a month to be with him for the weekend and to take care of things. And finally, I left my job in 2010 to move back to North Conway to be his full-time caregiver. He had the beginnings of Alzheimer's dementia. And I had a woman come in who would help me with some things, but it was me. I had no family up there. All my family were in New York, New Jersey, and North Carolina. And for five years, I kept him at home. And we had had a talk with him about where do you want to go as things go on? He goes, I want to be H-O-M-E. So <laughs> there was no possibility of him moving into a community like this. But finally, he had a medical issue and we transitioned him to a nursing home in the area. And that gave me some relief from the caregiving. But I was up there every day, feeding him lunch, walking him around. I 
really missed a day. And then he passed in 2015. So once we, my brother and I settled the estate, I looked at Michael and I said, Michael, as much as I love you, I can't do this for you. I've been through caregiving. We really need to find something like Riverwoods and for us to have a great life and to enjoy each other before anything happens. And that's how we got here. And we're very happy. We're very pleased to be part of this wonderful community and the people around us. Well, I tell you, you just commented on our tagline, which is getting smarter about growing older. And I know that there are a lot of caregivers listening to this podcast who understand and I applaud your work with your dad because that is extremely difficult. I would say that caring for an individual with Alzheimer's is harder than being a principal of 2,000 people from 150 countries. (laughs) But I love my dad and that's why I did it. You know, family is everything and you do what you can for your family. Yeah. And it's just, but it opens your eyes that there are other ways of living and other opportunities as opposed to what we all typically think. And I think one generation typically thinks I'm just going to, you're going to carry me out in a pine box. That's not necessarily the best way to live your life. So let's go back to the opening of Riverwoods Durham. I've talked in the top of the show about how incredibly successful Riverwoods Durham was in terms of the initial fill up and breaking records and opening the community and everything was going great and it was full. And I think you got 95% in a record time and it was, mm, let's see, March of 2020 and COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And you had all kinds of plans, Kim, for how to create culture in this community. And they were all kind of smashed. Yeah, that's one way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) What did you do? So, you know, you did mention we we did have kind of this incredible startup Cinderella story of a typical community of our size. We have 150 independent living apartments. Financial projections usually would put that at 24 to 28 months to reach what they consider stabilization, which is 95% occupied. And we did that in four months. If you're getting smarter, help us reach more minds. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends to follow us on social or subscribe to our newsletter at senioritiauthority.org. So we were out of the gate running and there was adrenaline and excitement around that. And, and the team was all involved and residents were moving in, in droves and building those connections. And we were starting to see the magic just unwrap. And, and every day I went home, just like so grateful for the day and so excited for the next day. And I kept telling my team, okay, it's, it's a sprint, but we got to just get to March. And once we get to March, you can all take a breath. We can breathe. <laughs> think about Love a vacation. You know. Yep. I had like a tropical beach in my mind, but then that didn't happen. So we reached 95% occupancy on March 4th and on March 12th, we shut down. And, you know, there were those first few nights of thinking, gosh, how are we going to do this? My whole philosophy before we opened was to build the sense of community before the community opened. And that was something that everybody on the team really committed to. You know, our sales and marketing team for two years prior to opening had near monthly events for residents to get to know each other. 
we continued that before we opened. We had seven resident committees up and running before our doors opened because we were reading the room and it mm-hmm. seemed like residents wanted and craved that connection and, and to be a part of it. They even dubbed themselves the freshman class of 2019. So it kind of felt like that moving into college. So then when the world kind of turned, it was how do we keep that momentum up when we have to be safe, when we have to change our guidelines or regulations every single day, and we don't know what the future holds. So we really just kind of looked at what we could do in a safe way. So we thought about what everyone enjoyed for those first few months, happy hours, dancing, music, eating together and dining. And we tried to just modify that. So instead of a happy hour in dining, our team would put together, you know, these little individual packets of cheese and crackers. And we would go to the liquor store and get the mini bottles of wine and they would just go door to door and give those out. So like we did a little drink, cup, like a little, <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and it, whether it was drinks or some days it was ice cream or maybe popcorn and some residents would just open their door and sit in their doorway and talk to other residents. And we just, we started thinking of any which way that we could do something. And some of it, honestly, and I've gotten this feedback, it may have felt a little preschool or kindergarten when we were having spirit days or theme days, but I think we all recognized we needed a little bit of hope and we needed a little bit of something to look forward to on days when we had no idea what would be ahead. So we did, you know, theme days, theme dinners. We learned how to do events outside and socially distanced. We had car parades. We did fitness classes outside. uh, Staff parades parades. outside the building, as I understand it. We did. I started a weekly parade on Fridays. And (laughs) honestly, at first, selfishly, it was for the staff. It was, okay, everybody needs to get out of this building for 20 minutes, dance it out a little. And then we thought, why don't we do this around the whole building? Why don't we go and try to make people smile? And, and then week after week, more residents would be out on their lawns with a sign for us or banging pots and pans or dancing with us. And it just somehow it released that pressure valve a little bit to just be in something together. And we weren't sure what each day held, but we were doing it together. Well, that's what I was going to say. It was still a very scary time. Not that it's not scary now, but we know more now. Back then, we didn't know. And a challenge for any leader is people want to know when is it going back to normal? And you didn't have the answer. No one had the answer. Deb, how did you experience community like this? What was your, how did you and Michael feel? You'd just moved in. You'd known all the fellow residents and then you were told to stay in your room stay in your home that's right our closing was march 4th wow next week i was supposed to go to safari to botswana i had all paid for you know michael was going to finish up packing up the apartment in new york city and i had stuff in north conway because we were going back and forth between north conway and new york but the covid numbers were increasing and i said to michael maybe i shouldn't be going to botswana (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's time to move into riverwood so a week later we moved in we had ordered all new furniture and we moved in two days before you guys closed us and we had a bed and two bar stools and that's it. And so we said, we can do this, we can make it. And we were so glad to be here. I think that's the bottom line. Even though everything was shut down and we're looking at each other in an empty apartment, which we've eventually got new furniture the end of the month. And thank you to the maintenance to put everything together for us. We had community around us. We had people around us. We didn't know anybody except Jim and Carly. And we started getting to know people on our floor. As Kim said, you know, the trolley cot would come by with the drinks or the beer or the ice cream. And we'd open the door and sit in the hallway and chit chat with whoever went by or we'd sit outside as cold as it was. We'd sit outside on the rocking chairs or 
the parades and the spirit events. And we realized more and more that we had people around us. There was community. I would call friends in North Conway and Michael would call his friends in New York City and they were all alone. I had friends living all by themselves. They were worried about shopping. They were worried about socialization. They weren't seeing their friends. Everybody was scared to go out at that point. And I, you know, we looked at each other and said, we are so lucky to be here, to be able to see people around us. And we so appreciated him and this whole staff really living out that mission statement, giving us community and giving us peace of mind. And they provided in many ways joy for us. I mean, Kim would get on, you know, send an email almost every day telling us the updates. Here's the latest. And we would look forward to seeing that. Oh, we'd get the paper trail of of her emails. Oh, we'd see videos of Justine, but we'd get information. We'd get assurances. We would give it. It may have been silly, but we love those parades. We went out and followed them along. The spirit days, we got right into the spirit because we were happy and appreciative of everything that Riverwoods did for us. And we knew we were safe. We were given information. We had the vaccine clinics finally. So we learned, but we shared everything together as a community. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is, did you feel safer? living in a community versus because you just were very, very new to, to moving in here. Did you feel like this was a safe decision? Absolutely. We had no problem with that. Again, we knew people were around us. We didn't have to go out to do shopping. We didn't have to be at a, sh- a store at seven in the morning before the crowds got there to wager how exposed we would be. We didn't have to worry about getting up, going out to get our prescriptions. It was delivered here. We had food cooked for us. We had everything at our fingertips and we followed our guidelines. We wore, wore our masks. We safe distance. You know, we sat six feet between everybody, even though we may not have been able to hear some people sometimes, (laughs) but we did that, you know, but we got the information. We learned how to be safe. And from that, because we were all committed to get through this as a community, as Kim said, all in for RWD, we did it and we felt perfectly safe. So Riverwoods Durham got groceries delivered to you with the ones that you wanted, as well as prescriptions. You were able to do that through the community. The bistro set up a little grocery store Mm -hmm. They brought in extra refrigerators and you could get fresh fruits, fresh vegetables. We had the community store here, buy things from there. We could use Instacart or some other delivery if we needed anything. But we had the food and bistro. We had everything that we needed. Some of the highlights for my team were the liquor store runs. We would get everyone, (laughs) all the residents could submit their their liquor store requests and we would go and fill those. So I know, I know going in and, and not only that, but another sort of hallmark of our community was from the residents. We had over 50 residents help create masks. And I think, you know, you can't talk about community and the Durham community without bringing up that magic. So, you know, the beginning days, we're all most, you can't see this if you're listening, but almost everyone here in the audience is wearing a mask. And, but in the beginning days, you couldn't find those. Mm -hmm. So you had to know someone who could make them or try to score them on Amazon or somewhere else. And, but then it got to the point where we were requiring masks and people needed them. And we had this enormous outpouring of resident support saying, let me help. I can do this. We'll make masks. We'll figure it out. So we had a, a mask boutique and they every day, probably eight in the morning until four o'clock in the afternoon, residents would sew masks for us. And people who couldn't sew would say, how can I help? Maybe they were cutting or maybe they were pinning or or getting the elastic fitted, but they made close to 5,000 masks. Wow. And we were able to distribute them to all of the staff, to all of the residents. That was our Easter gift that year is we, you know, you got an Easter basket from us, including two masks, but it just, it was an incredible, 
incredible, incredible amount of work and effort. And then we went to them at one point and said, hey, can you make gowns? You can't get PPE anywhere. And our nursing teams in Exeter and Manchester don't have enough protective equipment. And at first they were a little burnt out, I think. I'm like, oh, I don't know if we can do any more, but they did it. And, and they made these gowns that wound up really kind of saving people's lives in our other communities because they finally had safe equipment. They made these gowns out of shower curtains. That's hard. It's, <laughs> I wouldn't begin to know where to start with that, but it's, it's just the community spirit. It was, what can we do? How can we help? We're in this together. And the, the best part about this, getting back to the liquor store of all things, but one day, you know, I would check in on them every day. And, and one day a resident said, you know, this is fun, but we also like wine and cookies, Kim. And I'm like, say no more. So I went home and I told my now husband, I'm like, you got to make some cookies. They need cookies. So every night I was having him bake cookies and and other people's spouses started doing the same. And I would stop at Hannaford on the way in and get bottles of wine almost every day. And then at four o'clock, you know, they'd break, they'd crack open the wine, have some cookies. But then the next day they always came back and continued to sew and help their community. It's sad that that happened, that we're, you know, living in this pandemic, but it's also pretty magical to see what people do for one another. Oh, absolutely. And giving back is, is so important. How did you find the inspiration, Kim, every day? It was a, it's been a slog. It still is a slog, but where did you get your inspiration when day after day, there was no light at the end of the tunnel? The resident store? <laughs> the liquor store, you know, I kept that part to myself, the liquor store, but you know, I, I did indulge a few times. The residents and my team, just, I always think of, you know, my grandmother who I mentioned was in the nursing home. She would tell all the staff there, well, I'm going where Kimmy works. She's building me a new community oh. and I'm going there. And I kept saying, it's not open, Nana. You know, we're, we're getting closer, but it's not open. And so she passed in January of, of 2020. So she got to hear that we opened and things were going so well before she passed. But, you know, I just always thought of her, you know, I can't serve her, but I have this entire community. And I, I have to be there for them and my team. And, and I felt the love right back. I mean, there were days I was having horrible, awful, worst days sitting at my desk thinking, how are we going to do this? And a group of residents would be outside my window singing, you are my sunshine to me, oh. or you've got a friend and, or sending me quotes or emails or cards. And, and then it trickled, you know, to the entire staff. And it just, you can't abandon your ship. And, mm. and I just kind of never gave up hope that we're going to, we're going to get through this. And as one resident said at one point, I think we'll actually be stronger on the other side of this because we're going through it together. Well, it certainly, it certainly feels that way being at Riverwoods Durham and seeing how people are, how they connect with each other and seeing the employees, which we haven't talked a lot about. Deb, what would you say is, is one of the characteristics of the staff here that stands out? out and perhaps made COVID easier. Well, I think one of the things that stood out for us was how much they gave of their time to us. You know, throughout the COVID experience, the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't know what was going on. But first of all, those reassurances from Kim, from Justine, from Natalie, from anybody that we worked with, they gave us a lot of joy. They gave us a lot of fun things to do. They gave us a lot of information. We also didn't realize at the time, and Kim started explaining this to us, that all the employees also closed their own communities mm -hmm. to be able to work here, that if they were going to be working at Riverwoods Durham, 
firm during the pandemic at the beginning, they couldn't go out to parties, to restaurants, to unmasked here and there. They had to make sure that their own community was closed so they would be safe to work at Riverwoods. And if you stop and think about that, how much they had to limit their own lives to keep us safe and protected, that's a huge huge sacrifice. Yeah, sure. But I think it was the encouragement, you know, walking down the hall. And even though we all wore masks, you knew there were smiles behind the faces <laughs> because you could see the eyes, people smiling and, and wishing you hello. And how are you? And how are you doing today? There's always that extra time that they took, whether they were working at the front desk or we went into fitness or we went to the bistro. There was always, how are you? And it wasn't just slightly, how are you? It was that deeply caring mm -hmm. How are you doing? And I think making us welcome and comfortable for us as residents, that was very, very important. And that was part of, I think, the whole peace of mind that we finally developed or tried to develop. Well, and it, it's nice to hear because during the pandemic, there were so many negative stories about community and older adults at risk. That it's nice to understand the benefits of living in community because it's still something that not a lot of people choose to do. So I'm going to ask both of you, what was one assumption that you had coming into a community like Riverwoods Durham? What did you think it was going to be like and what surprised you? What did you not expect? I think I really wasn't prepared for how deep the roots of community would grow. And I mean that in particular with just seeing how it benefits people. Even some residents who may have been averse to community, community is what you put into it. So we certainly have residents who may be here for the long-term health guarantee and they don't wish to participate in events and activities. That's not typical of our residents. Most are very involved. But I think, you know, our community now being open for two years, we've seen some of our residents pass away. Those are, that's somebody's spouse, that's somebody's neighbor. And the feedback that we get when that happens from that resident you know, almost every time we've heard, you know, I, if I was living at my house, I know I would have had support from my family and neighbors, but eventually that goes away. But when I'm here every day, I'm kind of opening the door and being supported by community. And I think I just, I didn't weigh the full magnitude of that. And that's something that's been surprising is just how impactful it is to each person in their own way. Sure, that was changing someone's life forever. For me, I think the word resiliency comes along. When we think of community, you can go online and look at a description of what community is. And one of the things for me is that I want to be with people who deeply care about each other. Mm -hmm. And that is part of my definition as community. So I know before Michael and I moved in from November until March, a community was forming. All of you out there who were here at the very beginning formed that community. You knew people, you had dinner together. There were committees, there were shows, there were trips. There were a lot of things that people formed. And then all of a sudden come the pandemic, wham, everything closed. You know, we had never seen anything like this in our whole lifetime. We hear stories about our parents or grandparents or great grandparents going through pandemics, but we had never experienced that. And we're all looking at each other like, what is this? And so at that point, I started thinking, will community ever come back? And much like when you in the spring, when you go out to your gardens, and I know we have a lot of gardeners here in, the, in our audience, and you brush away the dead leaves and everything, and all of a sudden you see this tiny little green shoot coming up. And there is an absolute joy in the fact that there is life. And to me, that was what that community was like. That community was slowly coming back with everything going on and everything growing and having a wonderful experience. Secondly, 
The other thing about resiliency is that I think all of us became stronger. We became more resilient. We became stronger in ourselves. We learned to be resilient. I know this is a rather personal experience or example, but at the very beginning, Michael and I didn't know what was really going to go on like nobody else, anyone else did. And at night, we sometimes put the news on to listen to what was going on, even though it wasn't the best thing to do. And Michael had given me a big stuffed grizzly bear several mm -hmm. years ago. We named it Beta Ginsburg. We would sit on the couch together side by side holding that bear, <laughs> you know, it made us stronger. It may be silly and it's probably very personal, but you know, that's what got us through. But I think thirdly, the resiliency, I think we helped each other become more resilient by finding out how are you doing and, and just being there for each other. Now, on the opposite side of the coin, for me, the joy of all of this that I found in COVID was that Michael and I became a lot more closer. We've been I met him in New York City. We've been together for 16 years. We've been back and forth between New Hampshire and New York. We've traveled. We've been through, you know, tragedies in the family. We've been through illnesses. He was the one that got me through breast cancer in New York City. I mean, we've been through a lot together. But here we were in the pandemic. We weren't going out. We weren't seeing family. It was just the two of us. And our relationship deepened. Those emotional ties even became that much more close because nothing outside was mm. going to interfere with that. We had to learn to depend on each other and be there for each other. So, you know, I want to thank him for that, my soulmate. That's wonderful. Michael is here in the audience. And thank you so much for sharing that. That is so powerful because we know that the pandemic erased some relationships and oh, yeah. ruined some relationships. So the the fact that you grew stronger that's right is wonderful and i love the imagery of the garden that what you planted is still there and it it feels very much like what kim has done in creating the community here is to dig those deep roots and everyone in this community is united because You've been through one of the worst things, most unexpected experiences we've all had. And it's a little microcosm of brand new people coming together to create community in an unexpected circumstance. That's exactly right. And Deb has mentioned a couple of times the name Justine, who is Justine Vogel is our CEO of the Riverwoods Group. And she had this quote that she used all the time for us is same storm, different boats. Mm -hmm. So the world was in the same storm, but everyone was in their own different boat experiencing this. So, you know, Deb and Michael's story is one, but we had other residents who have a different way of looking at the past. I have to say, it's the first time I've heard someone say the joy of COVID. <laughs> Deb <laughs> described it that way, unexpected, unexpected joy. But you know what? It's, I almost would feel, I'd have those same thoughts in my head and almost feel guilty to think that there could be joy from this, but there is in some ways. And I think it has been in the relationships, in the trust that I feel like this community has built too. Believe me, there were plenty of nights I went home thinking, oh my gosh, I have no idea what, what I'm doing, how I'm going to do this and, and showing up every day and why are they all trusting me? And, you know, it's that self-doubt creeps in, but then it's, it's stories like this that Deb shared and just a million other examples that that is what community is and you rebuild and you regrow and, and. That is our mission too, is, you know, to be here in perpetuity. Absolutely. And, and one of the other points that Deb made resilience, once you, everyone who has lived in this community has lived, has had experiences, everyone who's here has had disappointments, has had wonderful moments, but also very dark moments. And to have a collective experience 
that makes you more resilient and gives you more appreciation for, I think, the deeper meaning of community that goes beyond the beautiful building and the gorgeous spaces and the beautiful art rooms and dining rooms. It's very elemental, I think, is what you've all created here. I want to also just touch on, because I think a lot of the audience listening may not understand the role of a resident who is also a board member of an organization. And as we, I think we mentioned, Riverwood Serum is a not-for-profit CCRC, a small part of a small family of communities called the Riverwoods Group based in New Hampshire, which has communities in Exeter, Durham, and Manchester. And it's unusual that on the board, there are resident trustees. And and Deb, would you explain kind of what your role is as a resident trustee? Sure, I'd be pleased to. First of all, I'd like to say it's a a great honor to represent Durham on the resident on the CCRC board. It was something of a surprise, was unexpected, but it's been an honor to do that. I believe that the process for me to get onto the board was that I was nominated by somebody through the resident council. And then the resident council then sent the names onto the board. And at that time I was interviewed and the board chose the resident trustee. I'm thrilled to be able to work with like Kurt Lee, who's on the finance committee representing Durham, Kim, Justine, the other executive directors, and the board members are absolutely incredible. They're people in a number of different fields, very committed to the mission of Riverwoods, to that community and peace of mind. They come from fields from hospital work. There's a, a woman who used to be a director of another CCRC, business people, people from insurance, a whole walk of life but they all are very committed to what our mission is. And they're all volunteers, as I understand They're all volunteers. Mm -hmm. This is all volunteer time for everybody. And we meet four times a year. All of us are on committees. We're on different task force. So between the four meetings, we're busy on a, a lot of projects. But I see myself as providing that resident perspective on the board. We always know in the history of Riverwoods that Riverwoods has always included residents, whether it's a resident council or committees or certainly the history of the board. So there's always been that resident voice. And where do I get my perspective as a resident trustee? First of all, I get it from being on the resident council here at Durham. Resident council meets monthly. And at that time, it's made up of 13 or 12 to 13 are residents from our community and all kinds of issues and topics come up and we meet with Kim and things to discuss. So first of all, that's how I hear that first perspective. Secondly, I'm involved in a lot of different committees. You know, my dance card could be full every day with whatever I do. <laughs> and sometimes it is, you know, whether it's programs at night or the various art classes or the lectures or the topics or other committees. By interacting with other residents, I also get perspective that way. And then thirdly, just being around the community going to the bistro, meeting people in the elevator, sitting outside, walking outside. You know, I have an opportunity to listen to the residents. So with all that perspective, I can be that resident voice on Mm -hmm. the board along with the other residents who are there. And it's a privilege to do that because the board wants to maintain the vibrancy of Riverwoods and to make sure it continues as a stable organization. But most of all, we want to stay committed to the mission of Riverwoods, to that community and peace of mind for everybody. So it's a privilege and it's something I really am 
appreciative of serving. I think that's wonderful. And I think it does reflect back on Riverwood's legacy mm -hmm. because Riverwood's was created mm -hmm. by residents. Unlike, as, as Kim mentioned, some mm -hmm. faith-based organizations, Riverwood's was founded by two very smart women. So the legacy of the resident voice and having your ear to the ground is really important. I can't help but think that some folks who are listening to this might want to know what the future plans for Riverwoods Durham are, Kim. Can you share those with us to the extent that you know them? And how easy is it if someone was interested in joining Riverwoods Durham, what would they do? Absolutely. So, you know, you've mentioned it a couple of times. We are a mission-driven not-for-profit organization. So part of our goal is always to be able to serve more seniors. And so early on in the pandemic, we had actually purchased the plot of land adjacent to where our community is now. Um, and we're looking at a few other areas because we want to be able to serve more. We want more community. And we also want to look at ways to serve our current residents. That's always, you know, priority number one, too, is how do we continue to enrich the lives of the residents we do have. So for Durham, it's really about how do we think about developing new land? How do we think about new programming? In many ways, we're very much still in our infancy. You know, mm -hmm. we're two years old, but we're two years old in a pandemic. So <laughs> I think everyone is really waiting for the time when we just feel normal, but we have a lot more to, to do and learn together and grow and welcome new residents in. So I think it's just, you know, the next few years are really going to be a combination of, of just that and, and listening and working with the council and the board to to carve our path. And if people are interested in joining our community, it is very easy. You know, you just, you can talk to any one of our sales counselors and come in, we give tours, we walk you through the process of the financial process, the health qualification process, and you can join our wait list and then get some more information, you know, and, and start, start the planning. I think every one of our residents here are, they have that little planner mentality in them. Mm -hmm. You typically don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to move to a CCRC. It does take a little bit of planning. So we encourage everyone, you know, to start having those conversations soon. And I think what's good about that approach is the more you plan, the more you can get research and information like Deb and Michael did, which you look at lots of options and decide what makes sense. And I think it's important for the audience to realize that if if a CCRC is something that you would be interested in, it's important to plan ahead. It's we are at a demographic point in our country where there are more older adults than ever before. Those boomers, those pesky boomers, they are turning retirement age. And that means it's harder to walk in off the street to a community that you might need to look at a wait list. So please do think about that and plan ahead. For those folks who are interested, we'll have a link to Riverwoods Durham in the show notes so you can do some more investigation. Before we close this really exciting, fun live podcast, I want to ask if there's any last thing that you would like to say that either of you would like to say about community and COVID and your experience together. I think resiliency is a big word, but one of my favorite quotes from one of our residents before moving in was about community of, I'm moving to a smaller apartment so I can live a bigger life. And I think about that all the time. And that kind of drove a lot of what we did during COVID is, okay, I understand that that's the expectation. Let's live a bigger life, even though 
know, we're asking people to live a much smaller life and a masked life and a distanced life. But I think, you know, what you find in community is you still get that. And like Deb said, you strengthen certain bonds and relationships and you can still live that big life in community, even during a pandemic. And I think we proved that. And I think my final word would be that we never planned on being in a community at this point in our life. But at this point, it's a new stage. It's a new beginning. It's a new journey. I'm always into adventure and exploring. And we're so happy that we have people that we care about and who care for us around us in our community so we can enjoy that next adventure in our lives being here at Riverwoods. Deb, I love your optimism. It is fantastic. And I I think choosing a CCRC is an optimistic attitude. I want to thank both of you for your time and your thoughtfulness in answering the questions and sharing with the audience what it was like to be in community during COVID. If you have any questions for Deb or Kim, please email us at info at senioritytheauthority.org and we will get the answers back and post them. That's our show for today. If you liked it, please give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. And until the next time, enjoy the opportunity to get smarter about growing older. Thank you. Thanks to our show sponsor, The Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities where active adults find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. That's our show for today. Did it spark a question? If so, send us your questions at senioritytheauthority.org and we'll track down the answer. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, let's get smarter about growing older.